Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Code Untapped Tech Talk. I'm Ez. And I'm Jay. And we're going to be discussing everything coding, tech, and startup related. So here we go. Yet another Code Untapped Tech Talk. How's it going, Jay? I'm good, Ez. Always good. Always good. It's been a busy week, I think, at the moment, hasn't it? Yeah, we're getting really busy now. I mean, um, on some group, we are just about to go into our penetration testing and uh, PCI compliance test and just making sure that we have all the, uh, the relevant paperwork for things like our trademark and stuff like that. We're just waiting for that to come through now. So, yeah. Amazing. So the business side of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so business side of things are moving forward. And I know you're looking at different funding sources and the rest as well, right? So um, you're coming, you're actually coming right into that stage where you're having to think about some of the key questions we're going to talk about today, mm-hmm. actually, in the run up to Christmas, which is, I mean, how do I know if my startup is viable, right? That's, that's the key question. And it's something that comes up every time we look to raise funds. And I know you've had a couple of fundraising conversations, you're talking to people at the moment obviously i do a lot of investment through impact x capital and as and i've raised capital as well under neighbor so i'm going to let you lead with this one you know obviously you're going through it right at the moment and uh, <laughs> what, what do you think what what do you think are the key key pillars to identify if your startup's viable i think well it's interesting because the type of individual that I'm at, that I am, is I would never, I don't like to sort of do stuff that I'm not fully aware of. So, and this, I think investors in particular pay a lot of attention to um, the background of the founder, yeah? And how that relates to the idea or, you know, the proposition that they've got, yeah? Because they want to know that you are you are fully immersed in that problem space, yeah? Wow. Yeah, and that's because you, 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 will, you will come up, because you will come across um, obstacles, issues that you have to, to tackle. And having that, and having that background in a particular space, yeah? Yeah. You, will give you a, a head start to tackling that problem. It might not always help you solve the problem because you actually might have to think outside of the box or mm-hmm. you might have to you might have to sort of do something that's not conventional for that yeah. particular uh, space yeah to solve that problem but mm-hmm. it does give you a head start yeah and so and it adds um, it adds credibility to your idea it, add, it adds weight to your idea. So this is somebody that, understands the space, knows that there's an opportunity there and has the the skills to be able to exploit that opportunity. Yeah. So that's that's what I would see as um that's what I would see as a good approach to tackling a problem or taking on a problem. Yeah. And turning yeah. that problem into an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting we touch on there because you know as an investor, one things I've definitely seen is that knowledge of that sector experience within that sector is so so critical to the startup success at the very least do you have to be an expert in that space no you don't there are plenty of startups that have been successful without that but it is a big indicator of um potential right you know 
how likely you to be successful with this goes up dramatically the more experience you have within that area. And if not directly within that area, do you have a adjacent vertical where you can apply your knowledge to it? So for example, with some group, you know, it's a finance business in essence, you know, you're providing invoicing, you're doing all this other work. Have you worked in invoicing before? No, but you spent a long time, many years in the finance space. So yeah. you bring a lot of that knowledge and expertise to that adjacent vertical. So that's really core in trying to identify whether the team's viable mm. behind it, right? But I guess when we're looking at will the idea work or not, you know, so, is startup viable? Is there a yeah. market for this? Yeah, so that, right. So that's so then that's the next part. So you need to get something out. <clears throat> to the marketplace as quick as possible and that thing can be rough and ready and it can be dirty it just needs to prove that somebody can use your service I mean, i've been saying this to you all year the rough and ready one was last year this is the, this is the Fair bling enough. this one is the bling this is the bling no, it's, it's, it's in the rough and ready. We did the rough and ready. We've, we've been there. We've trodden that road. Yeah, we don't want to do that again. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no, it's, it's 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 true. It's you got to get that rough and ready version out to prove that there is somebody is willing to use that product and can get value from that product as well. Yeah, and I think that's the for me. It's the most that's the most important thing. You need to be really, really not focused on. <laughs> making loads of money because actually <laughs> yeah, that beginning you need point, to not be focused on that actually and you need to be focused on it's interesting because it's the complete opposite mindset it's like when you're customers when you're customer focused yeah and you're you know you're customer centric and you're completely focused on providing the best possible solution for that customer you'll get paid yeah, you, you, yeah. You, you, you'll get paid. People will use your product. People will recommend your product. So definitely that's where all of the focus has to be on making sure that experience, that service that you provide, yeah, it really does yeah. meet that demand. Yeah. So yeah. I think in what, what you're really talking about there when you talk about that customer-centric perspective, though, is really about identifying product solution fit right you've identified that there's a problem you've identified a solution for it and you've built a product that you believe solves that oh, problem so you've closed that gap mm. so that's a really core core starting point right because a lot of companies never even get there mm. they you know they, they they have an idea and they never even get to the point where they've actually got a product but then for a lot of individuals so well, what happens next how do i get traction how do i prove that you know, am I ready to now go out and raise money? I, you know, I've built a product. What do I do next? And this is where that whole question of the market and traction and product yeah. market fit suddenly becomes an issue, right? Because you can build a product, you can build a solution, but does the market actually want it? You've identified a problem, but is anyone willing to pay for it, right? And this is where, you know, market research can start to become really valuable. And I know... Whilst you haven't really done conventional market research, you haven't gone to a research agency and the rest of it, although I do know some fantastic ones that can help with this, your research has been very much through your network, hasn't it? And through your your contacts yeah. and the rest. And yeah. I know you spent a lot of time um, in this area. So look, talk to me a little bit about you know, how you've gone about proving 
that this is a real product and that people want to use it. Right. So again, so this goes back for me to my earlier point where I said, if you've got domain specific experience and I, and the type, the product that I'm building is something that actually I would use. Yeah. And it's something that I would also use with, um, other people in my space so um so some group it's uh you know it's messaging with invoicing and all of that sort of stuff i deal i deal a lot with in when i well i've got a small portfolio of properties and yeah. i deal a lot with trades people all the time yeah and one of the things that they are consistently bad at is invoicing they're just consistently bad at it. They really are. It's crazy because that's how they get paid, right? Yeah. They, without invoicing, I cannot pay them because I, I, I have no record of what they've done. So yeah. they have to produce an invoice to pay me. And, you know, I can sometimes wait three months before I get an invoice. Oh, I need to just, I just need to get some time. They're always running from job to job. And they never get the time mm. to actually. So that's a really inefficient way of running your business. Yeah. Right. And that will cause cash flow problems. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. And it will cause stress in your life as well. So, yeah. So there's a definite, for me, there was a definite problem there. Yeah. And it was a problem, not just for them, but it was a problem for me as well, because it meant that, you know, I don't even, sometimes I wouldn't even get a quote for the job. I'd say, go and have a look at that for me. And they would, I'd get a text message to say, it's done. What's mm. done? Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know how much cash to allocate for that job. I don't know. And then, you know, yeah. so, and so that's, so for me, there was a real problem that I could see there. Yeah. So that, and then there was a problem there and, it, and I knew that there was a better way to do it. Yeah. Mm. Also the, um, from an updated interaction perspective as well. So right. we've really focused on communication, yeah, and and making sure that that customer, the relation, the communication between the business and the customer is really easy and really seamless, yeah? yeah. Now, that's one of the things, again, that was a problem for me when, and these are guys that I've, some of these guys I've worked with for years, yeah, I've worked with them for years, yeah? And I would say, go and sort out something here for me, blah, blah. And I wouldn't hear anything, yeah? And I would need to maybe contact the tenant to even find out if the work had been done and stuff like that. And, you know, it just doesn't, you know, I would literally have to chase them. And and hence, so there was, and so if I was a new customer, yeah, and if I was a new customer and having that experience of their service, yeah, mm-hmm. would I be, would I be, um you know, would I be happy with that service? Yeah. Is this somebody I could trust? Yeah. Those are the sort of things that would actually spring to my mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, if I can't trust that you've done the job because there's no evidence of you've done the job. Yeah. Not saying that you have or not, then I'm going to have an issue with paying you until I can actually verify that you've done the job. Yeah. Right. So again, so what we're trying to do so the problem is that actually the guys are running from job to job because their cash flow is bad yeah okay the reason that their cash flow is bad is not because they're not working hard enough is that they're not working in the correct way yeah right so can we fix the way that they work yeah mm-hmm. so actually they're more efficient, yeah? yeah they yeah. build better, stronger, long-lasting relationships with their customers, yeah? And can they um, and can they reduce the amount of overhead in administration that they have to do 
to get paid. Yeah. So, so what, what, what you've touched on is, is a lot around, again, that product solution fit yeah. piece, right? Yeah. Have I figured out a real problem? Have I built a real thing that yeah. solves a problem? And, and there's different ways to prove that. And I think what you've done there and really, really illustrated is how for you it was about really understanding the problem. Yeah. Being in, speaking to the, the, yeah. the tradespeople, speaking to the builders, really getting a sense for look, where's the friction, right? And identifying that and figuring out how could our product solve for that problem. Mm. Now you can do that before you build a product, right? Oh, you can. You part can. of your research, part yeah, of trying yeah. to understand. You can, you can, you know, really do that research early on. Um, you've done it throughout, and it's also helped inform your product as you've developed and built it. It's been one of the advantages having your own, having yourself and a developer alongside you. You've been mm -hmm. able to react to those discoveries mm -hmm. that you've made, which you have done. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I think you did quite a significant um, right. rebuild just yeah. a few months ago, didn't you? Yeah. And yeah. discovered yeah. that actually this thing that we made an assumption about didn't work. Mm -hmm. This is where we need to be. So mm -hmm. you thought you had product solution fit, but it was only when you got it in front of real customers yeah. that you actually saw it. And that's the difference between having just a prototype, because anyone can look at a clickable, clickable prototype exactly. or answer a survey and mm -hmm. go, you know what? Yeah, I think this makes sense. Mm -hmm. But once they had a real thing in their hands and tried mm -hmm. using it, mm -hmm. guess what? They came back to this doesn't work. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to hear. Is that's a yeah. hard thing to hear. Yeah. But actually, it's good. You want to hear that hard thing as mm -hmm. early on as possible. And it's even harder when you're sat thinking, all oh, right, this is going out. This, what do you mean? Yeah, this, this is going this out. Two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you do want to, so it's it's true. You want to get even the, the, the bling ready product, you still want to get that bling ready product out. Uh, as early as possible and yeah that's really and that's something that I've actually learned a lot about because I haven't got everything right yeah mm -hmm. and I can say that now I haven't got everything right there's there's tasks that I could have done months ago which would have meant now would have been much easier stuff like actually the some of the stuff that I'm doing now which I need to do before I can really go live, like pen testing, penetration testing, um, PCI compliance and stuff like that. I could have done that three months ago because that was built. Yeah, that was built. I had built my integration with my payments provider. Yeah, it was up and running. We'd been testing that and that hasn't really changed. Yeah, that's infrastructure right. stuff that, that hasn't really changed. The way that my app talks to, the way that some group talks to the cloud hasn't changed. Yeah, we haven't yeah. changed that. Yeah, so we can test that. Yeah, and we can test that upfront. So we could have got that sort of stuff. So it's also identifying as well, what can be done upfront and beforehand. Yeah, yeah to make no. that transition from coming out of your, you know, alpha phase where you've got all your internal testers really whacking away at it to them yeah. saying, right, you can go into the, you can go into beta because you've actually crossed a lot of those dots off already. Yeah. So that's yeah. something that's that's something I've learned. Yeah. So that's something that I I think that you know would be good yeah. for. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I guess you know where you're at in your journey now. And obviously I've been through this whole process mm -hmm. in the past and I'm seeing it within my portfolio at various different stages is now that um product market fit right because yeah. now you've identified product you, you've, you've identified a sorry you identified a problem identified a solution 
you built a, sub a product that solves for it. You've tested it with the audience and you feel like, you know what? We were onto the right thing now. We, we had a few mistakes in it, but we've corrected for that. And now what we've got is, is great. Now it's about, is there product market fit? And this is where it starts to come into the realm of business model. Can this thing actually gain traction? And as an investor, you know, as a VC investor, the key thing we look for is traction. It's an absolutely critical part. We look at all sorts of other things, you know, the team, the idea, uh, timing, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, is this an idea that can that can actually has a viable business model behind it, right? Um, and you're at the, your early stages with that in terms of building out that business model. Mm. And obviously, I've helped you a bit with this, but I'd love to get some of your thoughts as a founder who's going through it right now. You know, how have you gone about thinking about the core business model and developing that so far? Yeah, so um, when it comes to the business model, you need, for me, it was all about, it's all about value, yeah? And I would feel uneasy about charging for something that I don't believe brings real value. Yeah? Right. So, so for me, um, if I'm... Every, there's a lot of products out there, yeah? yeah? And there's a lot of products out there that people use. But I think I mentioned this in an earlier... I think it, it in an earlier... One of our earlier talks that you know, you're not just building a product, you're building a business, yeah? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. when you, and the essence of building a business is providing a service or a product that somebody actually gains value from, yeah? It actually mm -hmm. makes their life easier or better, yeah? yeah? Yeah, and that's what people pay for, yeah? So if you're not doing that, yeah, then, you know, there's no justification for a charge. Yep. So mm -hmm. I needed to, I needed to build, I needed to add value. I felt that yeah. I needed to add value in the product so that I could charge. So it needs to be, it needs to be better than the free option. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because no, there's always a free option. option. Yeah. There's always a free option. There's always a free option. I mean, we always, as we, I know we talk about jobs to be done theory. Yeah. So, what's the alternative if they didn't have your product what would they do yeah mm. yeah so that's how you evaluate your you evaluate the value that you're bringing to the person and hence you can yeah. then ascribe a charge to it yep so if for instance in the case of some group yeah um mm. in order to invoice you had to go onto your computer you had to bring up your invoicing package or whatever it was and then you yeah. had to go and type some stuff in and that invoice package you know was not on your phone so you couldn't do it on the job it's something that you had to do at home and then when you invoiced uh, as well you may want it to just to remind you you may have to send a text message or whatsapp message or signal or telegram message to your customer as well and then you might have to receive you know they might pay you via bank transfer or something like that so in this instance, you know, to do the one thing, which is communicate with your customer, um, generate an invoice or a quote, and actually get paid, you're actually using four different apps or three different apps. Yeah. And all of that information is in all different places, which means that yeah. there's cognitive friction here. Yeah. That mm. means that I have to take specific time out to do that task to get yeah. paid. Yeah. So if I can streamline that and that task does not take you half an hour now, but actually takes you two minutes, yeah, that's value, yeah? I can charge for that, yeah? And I can charge for that. And so 
you know, that's what you need to look for when you're building uh, a product or a service. Is the service that I'm providing yeah, better than the free thing? Yeah. Because if it isn't, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. you can't absolutely. charge for it. <laughs> Absolutely. No, and no, you can't charge for it because no one's going to pay for it. They're going to do the right. free thing, yeah. So uh, whatever you, you, whatever you do, it's got to be better than the free thing, yeah. Okay, and then I guess the next step, and we're almost out of time actually, is then building a business model around those very concepts you just talked about, right? And then you know, big questions: Well, what does a business model look like? What does a financial forecast look like? How do I build a revenue model? And we created a five-year forecast based on various assumptions and research that we had done around the size and scale of the market. And fundamentally, we looked at comparables, other businesses within your sector, and yeah. how they charged and built their models. And where, given what you've said about added value, we felt we were appropriately positioned and made some assumptions about penetration rates into the market, month on month, year on year growth, mm-hmm. costs. And then we built out a very simple model off the mm-hmm. back of that to get a feeling for what could be possible with the business. Oh. One thing we've got to be clear about is that all those models at this stage are generally guesswork, right? Mm. It's all about what the potential is for the business as opposed to mm. what is the reality, right? Yeah, so if you want to, so how can I break this down? So people always, you say the word business model and people get scared and they think, oh, that's yeah. there's like a lot of maths there. What's going on? Uh, yeah. And really isn't, you know, and we do comparisons all the time. I mean, and I'll just give you a quick example of something that's probably close to a lot of people's minds, houses. Yeah. So, you know, how do I know what the value of my house is? Well, it's on a road. Yeah. Mm. The value, what are the value of the other houses on that road? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's a fair indication. Okay. But you know, there's some flats on my road. There's some houses on my road, you know, there's, some, there's a studio flat on my road as well. There's some garages. Well, then you look at the other similarities. Okay, so how many bedrooms does your house have? Oh, my house has three bedrooms. Okay, cool. So let's look at other houses on your road, which are three bedrooms. Okay, so we get a we start to narrow down that. Yeah. You know, we start to narrow down that valuation or the value that we need to ascribe from that. You know, so you say okay, but okay, my house, you know, it's in decent condition, but it's not a one perfect. Okay, so a house across the road from me, three bedrooms in A1 perfect, A1 perfect condition sold for X amount. Okay, Mm -hmm. so my house is probably a little bit less than that then, yeah? And that's exactly what you do with a business model, yeah? You look for, as as you've said, as you look for comparables. So you you look at products or services which are very close to yours, yeah? And you can, and then you see, you com- compare and contrast as much as possible, and see what those similarities are, yeah, Absolutely. and what the differences are, yeah. And then you use also, as you alluded to as well, you use how do you extrapolate then that model, yeah. So mm-hmm. then now you start to look at your market. Well, who is my product? Um, who is out there? that will use my product? How many people will use my product? Yeah, yeah. And if I could have all of those people, yeah, yeah. how many of them are there? Yeah, and then stuff like that. And so that's how you then you can extrapolate. And so if I got maybe 0.5% of all the people out there that could use yeah, my product, yeah. yeah, what would that look like in terms of income? 
Yeah. yeah absolutely. And that's how you then that's how you then extrapolate your market size and stuff exactly. like that. So none of this when you, when you look at that model and it starts to tell you, okay, this makes sense. Mm. It doesn't tell you your business. So viable doesn't mean that it's going to work, right? But viable suggests that this is a strong concept that has good potential for success, right? All the pieces are there for this to work. Mm. Execution is the only one thing that determines whether it works or not. Execution, timing, luck, all of that great stuff, right? Mm. Um, but is your business viable? Well, you can cover all these different aspects we've talked about to get a strong sense of whether your business is viable. But I think we need to do a whole talk on building business models, right? And the rest Absolutely. of it. But this, before we wrap up, because this has been amazing, um, we did have a poll on our Code Untapped um, LinkedIn. I think it was, do you think it is important to have a CTO, Chief Technology Officer, for your tech startup? 88% of people said yes, right? It doesn't surprise me. Um, there, there's a whole conversation and debate yeah. had around that, but unfortunately we've run out of time and maybe we'll make that the focus of another talk. Should you have a CTO, VP of engineering, in-house tech team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and we can cover that another time. But you know what? As always, it's been amazing. And Jay, it's always good catching up and just hearing more about what you guys are doing um, in some group. So for me, it's good night. And Jay, any words from you? Good night and uh, carry on coding. Thanks a lot, everybody. It's been fantastic. Speak next time. Bye-bye.